worst kept secret in the luxury social events industry is that businesses are developed through networking, referrals and word of mouth. RSVP puts all of you in the room and lets the conversations happen. We are a member networking community for the elite of the global wedding and party industry, producing symposium conferences, awards, networking theme parties, breakfast clubs, and now weekly member podcasts and much more. So welcome to the RSVP In Conversation With podcast. Our guest today describes herself as thus. Born in Geneva, raised by a French father and a British mother, who themselves have a multicultural background, I had an idyllic childhood in Switzerland, surrounded by the lakes and the mountains, but also very close to a big international airport that we would frequent very often. Having family in both Manchester and Barcelona, I took my first flight aged three months, and until recently, I wasn't in my London home for more than two consecutive weeks at a time. This love of travel was instilled in me from childhood and has led me to visit over 55 countries worldwide and I'm keen to get back to exploring once my two little ones, aged two and seven months, are able to enjoy such experiences. These many trips around the world have meant I've been able to take inspiration from buildings, festivals, fashion and all kinds of cultural elements at first hand. My, my house is full of travel memorabilia and acquiring it has given me an acute understanding of blending cultures and aesthetics. Welcome, a lady w- with a wanderlust, Charlotte Ricard Posada. Oh, an intro. Thank you, James. Now, um, did I pronounce your surname correctly, by the way? Yes, yeah, so it's Ricard Casada, but nobody pronounces it correctly. <laughs> I get all the versions. I get Richard Casadilla. That's a good one. <laughs> Isn't that something that you eat in a Mexican restaurant? Yes, it is. Yeah, and yeah, it was yeah. the horrible nickname my husband had at school, poor thing. Oh, no, um, no. But I had, I've had Charlotte Richard my whole life because Ricard is my maiden name mm-hmm. and Quesada is my husband's name. Gotcha. And okay. so we did a blend. So I was going to ask sort of what was the origin of your very exotic surname, but you've done it already. So, so that's wonderful. Exotic, yes, yes. Okay, so let's take you back to Switzerland. Yeah. Your father was French, you were a British mother. So how did you end up in Switzerland? So my dad is uh, French and Spanish, and my mum is British and Austrian. But my mum was brought up in Manchester, and my dad was brought up in Geneva. And basically, he ended up being born in Geneva because his grandfather, who lived in Barcelona at the time, um, during the civil war in Spain, decided to set up a business in Switzerland, which was a neutral country in the midst of Second World War, mm-hmm. Spanish Civil War going on, and thought for the security of the family, let's set up literally an office space in Switzerland. He had several pharmaceutical companies in Spain and literally just put an office for import and export in Switzerland just for safety, just in case. It was a very wise move anyway, looking at history anyway. Yeah, he had four kids and my grandfather was the second child for eldest boy and he was a bit of a trouble child, more interested in girls than studying. Um, And so my great-grandfather's answer to that was, you're not interested in studying? Right, you get sent to Switzerland and you need to build a business over there whilst everybody stays here at home in Barcelona. And that's how basically we ended up being the Ricards of Switzerland, mm-hmm. 
whilst everybody is still in Barcelona. So that's why we have such a big part of the family still in Barcelona. And then my parents met when my dad hired a car when he went to travel in the Lake District. And my mum was the lady who was working at the car rental place. And <laughs> yeah, I know. And basically, she was going through a divorce at that time. And so still wearing her ring because she didn't want anybody to disturb her, basically. And so my dad, once he'd returned the car, um, sent her a bouquet of white roses with a note saying that whoever was the fortunate man to be with her, he was one lucky bloke because she was just so beautiful. Um, and she answered saying, yeah, I'm getting a divorce. And then literally they spent every day on the phone. This was in 85, so the phone bill must be mm -hmm. bloody huge. Um, and three months after that, she moved to Geneva. Wow. Yeah. What a story. I know. It did your mother come to the Lake District? So my mum grew up in Manchester. She grew up in Didsbury. Didsbury, relax, yes. Yeah, Didsbury. Know it well, I do, yes. <laughs> and her dad was Austrian. And when I was a teen, about 15 years ago, I started to think that maybe he was of Jewish origin because a lot of the words that my mum like, you know how every family has their own, like, sort of little nicknames for bits and bobs and stuff? Started to realize that they weren't German words. They were Yiddish words. Wow. And so we started to look into it a bit more. And we knew nothing about him. He never said anything about himself. He never said anything. And actually, my sister did a research not long ago on Ancestry.com. And we were able to find his arrival document into Liverpool Port. And he basically fled what was then Bohemia mm. or what would be today Bohemia. So he's actually Czech. And he fled just as just before the Anschluss was happening. So when Austria was being mm -hmm. annexed to Germany. So he was one of the lucky few that was able to flee. Um, and it states that he's Jewish. So we were able to sort of put all of these pieces together um, and also at the same time found out that um, he was already married before my oh, grandma dear. and had another two kids in the UK, like literally in Manchester wow. as well. So yeah, so it's all like all these different things. But then you think about it and it was such an interesting time at that time in Europe. You know, everything was, people were moving so much, you know, escaping war zones, trying to get away, trying to build a new life. So if I define myself, I'm European. It's like an episode of Who Do You Think You Are, this. It's, it's, it's... I know. <laughs> I wish I knew more, honestly, because there's so much stuff that's like hidden and, you know, still at that time, like those generations, I still have one of my um, great uncles that's still alive, who's 96. And there's still a lot of, you know, taboos of you don't say this, you don't say that. That was never spoken of. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's still a lot of those things. But I just find it fascinating to know where you come from. So what's your earliest memory? I, I take it it was in Switzerland, probably. Uh, yes, it was in Switzerland. Um, I think probably one of my earliest memories is probably going to the mountains and skiing. Um, I think I was about two and a half when I learned to ski. In Switzerland, that's very normal. You know, you learn to walk, you learn to ski. Same thing. Yeah, I think it was probably that, you know, the sensation of being free and moving and then falling um but yeah I think that and 
just being able to live in the outdoors and then getting on planes. I mean, you know, in the intro, we speak about travel for me has been a huge thing in my life. And, and then I remember my sister being born, but that was a bit later. So let's just talk about the creative side of you. Yes. We are in the creative industries here, many, many different aspects, but um, let's talk about music. And do you have a favorite band? Is there a f- first gig you went to? Are you a bit of a music junkie? I love my music. Uh, obviously now with kids, it's a bit harder to get to concerts, but um, went to see Elton John. Finally, after about three years of having mm-hmm. the tickets, probably the same case for everybody. You aren't the first person I've interviewed in the past few weeks that, yeah. that, that's just been to Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> At my first gig, I was, I think, eight, uh, and it was Spice Girls. Oh. And it was literally, <laughs> I mean, that shows my age. And I remember my dad took me, and it was just the best thing ever. It was amazing. It was mental. We were in the mosh pit. Um, which obviously isn't too mosh pity with Spice Girls. Um, but obviously, because I was so little, I couldn't see anything. And my dad, somehow, I don't know how he did it still to this day, found a chair, brought it, and I was standing on the chair for the whole concert, so saw everything super, super well. And literally, since that day, my dad, like, hero. I don't know if it was very health and safety, though. But it was amazing. And then since then, been to loads of gigs. When I moved to London when I was a student, literally was in and out of gigs every weekend saw loads of bands that now are big um but were in their like first concerts i remember when one republic came for the first time to london they were playing at the pub in king's college um and i think we were 50 60 mm-hmm. people in the room and it was just so cool went to see lo- been to loads of concert venues been to concerts in different countries on the beach like yeah i love music any other art forms you're really into quite a nice picture of a cow behind you i can see now oh yeah (laughs) yes i do love my art uh i think that was one thing as a kid my parents really were keen to make sure we were well-rounded individuals um and in france there's a big thing on what we call culture generale which is general culture you know being able to be in any sort of circumstance and be able to chat about anything and so we were often dragged on weekends with my sister to antique fairs or art museums of different kinds of art um and as a kid i remember with my sister used to be like oh another one oh and now that is the thing i love doing the most so you know i do think you spread the seed it will grow But I love, you know, we were very fortunate. We grew up with some lovely pieces of art, both modern and antique. Um, My parents were big collectors of African masks before it became a trend. Um, So I grew up very much with that kind of art form around me as well, which I now have some of them as well. I think for some people it's a bit weird, but I just find it so beautiful. It's a good education to have in terms of you said the well-rounded sort of Knowing a little bit about a lot, I think, especially in this yeah. profession, because you're dealing with families and to be able to go in and you, you we go into their homes and to be able to comment and, and know something about maybe what they have as well and what their interests are is so important to this industry to gain their, their, their trust. 
But even, you know, I think the way that you can form your own opinion of stuff mm-hmm. as well, you know, I mean, my dad always told us when we went to the museum, you know, you can't just say about a piece of art, oh, well, that's crap or that's, you know, great. You know, he always made us say, okay, well, why do you like it or why don't you like it? What What is it that makes you like it or not? And, you know, I think that was always a really good way for he sort of spun it on instead of the kids asking why all the time, he would ask us why. And so make us actually formulate our thought process. And, you know, my parents are very much, there's no right or wrong answer in a lot of things. And so it was always interesting the way they pushed us to do that. And, you know, for example, growing up in Geneva, basic thing, watches. Mm-hmm. You know, I can tell so much from somebody's watch, you know, their kind of taste and, um, their wealth as well and you know but you can tell a lot from somebody's watch certain watch brands that they'll buy some are more showy some are more discreet uh, and I remember when I was starting out in my career before the industry event um, I was in fashion and right at the beginning of that career I was working as a salesperson as Christian Dior <laughs> that's one hell of a draw yeah, exactly <laughs> uh, in the Bond Street boutique oh that that's an even bigger one yeah I was part of the opening <laughs> team And I remember I used to straight away Mm -hmm. look at clients' watches, comment on them, but in a really discreet way and say, oh, what a beautiful Ulysse Nardin you have or something like that. And straight away it created uh, trust. And they were like, okay, this person understands. This person knows. And especially if it was a more discreet brand, I'd pick up on it and they'd be like, oh, she knows this brand. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's, you know, it, and it, now the challenge is trying to do that with my kids as well. Obviously, they're still little, but, you know, I, I do want to teach them those elements. I want them to, to be happy, healthy, and well-rounded culturally individuals, which is tough. Wonderful, wonderful. Actually, just, just out of interest, I don't wear a watch, so what's the, yes. so what's the conclusion of me? Oh, but you know me already, um, so it's a bit. Yeah, I know, I know you already. But if I see somebody who doesn't wear a watch, for me, my my first perspective will be that they're maybe not punctual because they don't have a reference to that. I'd also think that either you look at a watch being too controlling of your time or that you simply just didn't grow up with a watch because I think a lot of people don't wear a watch because it gets in the way whereas I feel naked without a watch completely naked and then you know I'd pick up on other things there's so many other ways to you know read a person I'd look at um your hands the state of your hands if you've got well-kept hands um My mum always taught me to look at a person's shirt collar to see if it's clean and well ironed. Such an old-fashioned thing. And then shoes. Look at somebody's shoes. If they've got clean shoes, um, that's another sign. I've always thought about shoes are similar to mattresses. You buy the very, very best that you can get because if if you're not in one, you're in the other. Oh, I like that one. I'll keep that. (laughs) I'll add that to my kids' uh, general culture. We're going to be a little bit naughty now. Um, I sometimes will watch a film with Melina and, and going to cinema and it's yeah. terrible and my favorite phrase is well I'll never get those two hours back is is there something that you've done yeah. recently when you've thought about oh yes I've um I've wasted some time there or 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 done something it usually is a film um or 
TV show or something. And and I suppose your time is even more precious with your little ones. So it's um it's not like me whose ones are grown up now and you have lots of time. Oh, <laughs> well, that's an interesting question. I think I mean to be honest with you, I haven't been to the cinema in I think probably two years. Um, because with the kids it's just so complicated. I think you know what it's happened to me lately more so with restaurants if mm-hmm. i've been to a restaurant on a date on a rare like monthly date with my husband that we try and plan ages ahead and the service is crap at the restaurant that's when i think like well that's date night wasted you know it's just like okay well i've come out i've booked this place months ago because literally we have to plan childcare, etc and i'm just like okay, well, that was crap. I could have stayed at home and like cooked dinner myself. I completely agree. And and post-COVID, the service in restaurants is not in a good place, I don't think. It's so slow. It's, yeah. I mean, I know they're low on mm-hmm. staff. Everybody is at the moment in the service industry. But, you know, you can't always, restaurants can't keep being like, oh, well, you know, we'll offer you this aperitivo as a, mm-hmm. like, you know, sorry. It's like, no, you had us here waiting for ages. The food arrived cold and you forgot this. And it's not cheap anymore. I mean, no. um, prices in restaurants are now getting to levels that you go, oh, that's going to burn a bit. Um, yeah, it's, totally. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's move on. Do you have a special talent you want to share with us? Oh, God. It's nothing. Like, apparently I do a good monster voice, um, which is such a random okay, one. Okay, go on then. Go on, you have to do it. Tell me what you want me to say and I'll do it. In a monster voice, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not too long. Yeah, not, not, what, just one, one short sentence, okay. Yeah, a short sentence. The cow behind me is beautiful. Okay, hang on. The cow behind me is beautiful. <laughs> Can't believe I've just done this, honestly. <laughs> I'm never going to get a booking again now, you know. I don't think that will be edited out either. <laughs> there you oh, go. Don't. Okay, wonderful. Um, let's after that. Let's let's do a quick move on. I think <laughs> yes, please. In your house, you have a bar, and behind this bar is is a great barman. Yeah, and with every single drink you could ever want, alcoholic, non-alcoholic, you go to the bar. You can order anything you want. What's it going to be, Charlotte? Please don't take the piss out of me. Malibu pineapple. You're joking. <laughs> <laughs> That's even worse than, than a baby shower. <laughs> look you know what malibu has become a rare commodity these days it's never available anywhere yeah there's a good reason for that look, i'm still 15 and a <laughs> honestly it look it was the drink i started drinking okay. when i started going out 15 god 20 years ago now bloody hell and yeah it's just i find it's the perfect level mm-hmm. to get intoxicated yet hydrated at the same time it's effectively coconut water isn't it with booze in it coconut water with booze mm-hmm. and with added sugar of pineapple to keep yeah, you going yeah okay so you're having a dinner party at home yes and you're serving your malibu pineapple cocktails to everybody and they're all wanting to leave or, or stay maybe i don't know um cheaply <laughs> well you're not coming <laughs> what food will be on the table Ooh. and and i suppose it would have to be food that went with the with the drink no i'm joking you cheeky, aren't you? Honestly. Well, you're not coming to anybody dinner party anytime soon. Interesting. I think I do love the idea of canapes or sharing platters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 
I love the idea of being able to eat more variety but in smaller portions rather than a big heavy meal. And I think it would have to be a mix of all the different cuisines that I generally eat from. So we eat very, very varied at home because obviously my husband's Spanish and then because I grew up multicultural influence from everywhere. But we love Asian cuisine as well. So Chinese food, um, sushi, etc. So yeah, I think it would have to be a mix of everything. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then around this enormous dinner table, all this amazing food on there, who is around the dinner table? It could be anyone, alive or dead, oh. your dream dinner party. Oh, that's tough. I love, love, love history. So I think I'd have like really interesting people from different history eras um, or historic eras, rather said. I think I'd probably have like King Tut, uh, Queen Victoria. I think I'd want to make it interesting and a blend of people as well so we could like discuss all kinds of different things. Uh, Louis the Sixteenth of France. He's an interesting one. Louis the Sixteenth, not the Fourteenth, the one that lost his head. Yeah, yeah. but <laughs> maybe Louis the Fourteenth and then Marie Antoinette. So it's like a blend of both periods. And then I think I would have invited the Queen as well because I think she was really, really interesting lady. Um, I would have loved to meet her actually. Don't tell me you met her. I haven't. I think you need to speak to Harriet and to Johnny probably. I think to get the low down, the lowdown on her. The nearest I got to her was at Royal Ascot. She went past it in a coach. Oh, me too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the closest I got to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then alive. Is there anybody that I'd invite alive? Oh, James Lord, of course. <laughs> well, that's a great turnaround in five minutes. It really is. <laughs> from, from zero to hero in five minutes. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and and I won't bring the drinks. <laughs> Right, so, and actually, I think just thinking about you as a person, personally yeah. and professionally, and this is where we sort of go into a little bit of your professional life if you want to. In 10 years, where do you see yourself, personally and professionally? Personally and professionally, in 10 years... Your, your children still won't have flown, will they? They won't be no. a- anywhere near flying, actually, one of them. But they will be in full tween territory, which, mm-hmm. with them being 18 months apart, will be interesting. I think Ines, my eldest, she'll be fully blown, fully fledged teenager at that stage because she'll be 12. And then Felix will be um, just about to turn 11. So that'll be interesting. Uh, I think I'll probably be a full time taxi to both of them. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, I think we're quite set where we are in London. And, you know, we're very happy being here and living the London life um, and sort of blending it around the kids. And then professionally, I think, you know, my idea is to keep growing the business um, in a very natural way, in the way whereby it's sustainable with me still being a mum to them both. It's a difficult balance to strike. And obviously the balance will change and evolve as they grow and as they start going to school and everything. But Obviously, with them going to school, it's going to free up more time for me during their school hours. I know mm-hmm. that afterwards, I'm completely locked into their schedules. But I think also at that age, we'll be able to travel a lot more and they'll be able to take part in more 
day-to-day elements and do more things together as a family. 10 years, I've literally just turned 35, so I'll be 45 then, Mm -hmm. getting closer to 50. Bloody hell. Tell me about it. You know, I think embracing my gray hair as well and that all that kind of, you know, growing old gracefully or trying to do so. But yeah, I think it's just following what, you know, life throws at us. Hopefully no more pandemics, fingers crossed. And just taking every day at a time and enjoying it. I think I've got to an age now where I want to enjoy every day and no longer sort of be anxious for time to pass you know how when you're younger you're like oh, I wish it would go faster I wish we could get to this place and stuff I think now I'm very much I want to enjoy the present more and I think the older I get the more I want to do that spend time with family and friends with the kids and not be so hungry for more now yes holidays yes yes I, and obviously you've talked about your your, your your travel bug already is there somewhere though that actually if you were able to go somewhere without the kids for a week maybe just oh. even you on your own for the ultimate holiday now that seems like absolute luxury i'm sure um oh, yeah. where would you go and what would you do or maybe nothing maybe you used to just lie, lie the beach and just do nothing for a whole week that's not my kind of holiday it okay. never has been i can i can do lying on the beach for two days and then i get bored mm-hmm. get mm-hmm. so bored um, That's a very typical trait of everybody in this industry, and me included. Yeah. Two days is I'm going so crazy after two days. Yeah, no, can't. I think I don't know. I, most of the places that were really high on my tick list, I've been to in some way or another. There are a lot of countries that I definitely want to repeat or do in a different way, or regions where I want to go back. There's one region where I've never been, and I really want to go. And it's the whole Iraq, Iran, uh-huh. Syria kind of area. Obviously, not the easiest place to go to at the moment. You might have to wait a while before you can go there. Yes. But it's very high on my list of when things hopefully settle down there one day. But I think if I were to go alone somewhere, I'll, I really want to go to Iceland as well. Uh-huh. I think that could be really lovely and, you know, different. But, I mean, to be honest, one place where I would love to go, and that would probably be alone, would be um, Mongolia and horse right, ride right. in the plains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. Here's the confessional now. Actually, there's, there's, there's two questions. What's the naughtiest thing you've ever done? How naughty are we speaking? Oh, you can do it. You can you can go crazy. No one, no one's listening to this. No one that. Can, oh yeah, of course not. No one that yeah. can sue you. No, one, the the police aren't listening. The tax man isn't listening. You know, if you can say any, any, anything you want. I mean, after Monster Voice, everybody's disconnected <laughs> from this episode anyway, so it's fine. Um, naughtiest thing I've ever done. I mean, at, when I was at boarding school, we did quite a few naughty things. Smoked pot a few times, which, I mean, is it really naughty anymore? You're, you're not that much of a rebel, are you? you just no. That. I mean, nah. <laughs> um, you are an angel, I mean, actually. If that's all you've done, you are in, you know, you with the angels, really. I mean, yeah, smoked pot a few <laughs> times. Uh, what else? How about a confession? Okay. Yeah, go on. Do you want to confess to anything that that maybe somebody else got the blame for? I mean, this is typical when we're younger, you know, 
I kick the football up right the, the next door's window and my brother takes the blame for it, that kind of thing. No, like, you know, being two girls growing up, uh-huh. it was more that we would just fight like cat and dog and uh-huh. rip each other's hair out uh-huh. and scratch each other. Uh-huh. And because my sister's five years younger. You used to win. Yeah. <laughs> Although she is now taller than me <laughs> and bigger than me. So she then very quickly got the upper hand Um and she was like the saint. And then I'd be like, she did it. And thing is, I will admit, I was a profuse um, liar when I was a kid. Like like a massive, massive liar. Mm-hmm. But I used to spin all of these stories and these webs of stories that were super complicated. And I used to remember each version that I was telling everybody. <laughs> so I've got a great memory. And then... Very overactive imagination, probably. Yes. Yes. Very. Um, and then it started to get a bit complicated and got caught out on a couple of lies by my parents. And then I just decided literally one day to the next when I was about 18 or 19, I just decided, yeah, this isn't worth it. Um, <laughs> and even my sister now, she tells me like, I'm the most honest person that she knows. Like I'm literally, honesty is the number one thing for me now, but confession I mean, might be interesting, might be not. You might edit it. I don't know. I got engaged when I was 21, somebody before my husband, uh-huh. as a kind of big fuck you to my parents look. <laughs> I, I'm i old enough. I can do it by myself. No, I don't need that's, you. That's a great naughty story, that is. <laughs> you got engaged just to do a fuck you to, to, to yeah, your family. Kind of. I mean, in hindsight, I can I can tell it. On the moment, I was like, no, we're so in love. We even had an engagement party. Like, I look back at it and I'm like, fucking hell. Plus, like, and I have a couple of photos still of the engagement party. I was literally platinum blonde. Nothing against platinum blondes, but it does, it's just not a look for me. Um, platinum blonde. And it was in the early, it was around 2008 or nine. So it was that kind of like, combed long long hair just not a look that looked great on me but yeah that that's probably my naughtiest thing okay. getting engaged to tell my parents to fuck off <laughs> i can't wait for them to hear this oh god damn <laughs> my dad my dad doesn't know what a podcast is oh, that's fine, then. my that's mom okay. if i send her the link she'll listen yeah okay she still doesn't know what my website is each time i'm like mommy do you know what my website is she's like la.fet.com <laughs> and I'm like yeah okay great thank yeah, you okay, okay right well I think we're nearly there I think we are t- towards the end of of our session today so many thanks to my guest today a person of many air miles born wearing a pair of skis Spice Girls fan lover of sweet ghastly alcoholic drinks <laughs> rehabilitated liar reformed platinum blonde and possessor of a gruff monster voice Charlotte Required Posada, thank you very, very much. Oh, thank you, James. Thank you for listening to this RSVP podcast. If you'd like to go onto our mailing list or join RSVP, then please go to our website at rsvp.club or email me at james at rsvp.club. Please keep your feedback coming and speak to you all next week.